0: The Exorcist franchise is back in theaters, but does the power of this legacy sequel compel you to return? I'll let you know right now. This video is brought to you by Mint Mobile. Go to mintmobile.com slash Merle to get premium wireless starting from 15 bucks a month, and stay tuned after this review for more info. Hello everybody, I'm Dan Merle, and this is my review of The Exorcist Believer, which moved its release date up one week to get out of the way of the Taylor Swift juggernaut that'll be hitting theaters next weekend. It's been a couple of decades since there was an Exorcist movie in theaters, so the franchise was due for a good plundering, but this isn't just a rehash of the original 1973 film where a teen girl is possessed by a demon, no, because in this movie, a pair of young teen girls are possessed by a demon, or to quote another franchise that has also been steamrolled into the ground. This is getting out of hand. Now there are two of them. But The Exorcist Believer is not a reboot because this is the 21st century, which means it has to be a legacy sequel. And to its credit, this movie was able to do what no other Exorcist sequel has been able to do before it, lure Ellen Burstyn back to the franchise with enough money. Although to Ellen Burstyn's credit, it wasn't just money that got her to return to the role of Chris McNeil, the mother of the possessed girl Reagan from the first movie. She actually, and this is not a joke, was able to negotiate a scholarship program for young actors as her salary for the film, as well as probably A lot of money. So, you know what? Good on you, Ellen Burstyn. Get what you're worth at least because you're not getting anything else out of this movie. She knows who I am. Where's the other girl? Taking care of her at home. That's not a good idea. To be honest, Ellen Burstyn really got the better end of this deal for two main reasons. Number 1, even though she is one of the finest actors left in her generation, it's very obvious that she did not take this part because her heart was in the script. Her performance in this movie is what I would call admirably serviceable. And number 2, if you were to put together all of the moments you've seen of Ellen Burstyn in the trailers so far and the scenes that they've released for publicity purposes, I think you would have about 90% of her screen time, and that is not an exaggeration. Bringing back Chris McNeil is maybe the emptiest and most desperate return of a legacy character yet in one of these movies, and that's saying something. She is of absolutely no consequence, present only for the studio to put her in the trailer. If you wrote her role out of this movie, it would make no difference whatsoever. It is laughably cynical how little of Ellen Burstyn is in this movie, it's an obvious marketing ploy in order to put her in the trailers to attract people that might buy a ticket to see Ellen Burstyn because they have some affinity for the original Exorcist movie. And honestly, maybe that's smart because those same people probably wouldn't buy tickets to a second-rate Exorcist knockoff of a knockoff of a cheap ripoff, which this movie, by the way, absolutely is. The Exorcist believers is reportedly the first film in a new Exorcist trilogy from David Gordon Green, who just wrapped up his take on the Halloween franchise. It seems like his goal might be to personally kill all of the classic 70s horror franchises. Maybe he's taken it as like a personal goal to kill them because he loves them so much, like the real world equivalent of throwing rocks at White Fang so that he can go live his life as a wolf in the wild. Green co wrote the screenplay with Peter Sattler, a second time screenwriter who I'm pretty sure went to college with David Gordon Green, with a story from Green, Danny McBride, and Scott Teams, the writing team behind Halloween Kills. And look, I get that the first Halloween movie did well financially. It did pretty well critically. So, of course, you're going to try to build on that success. But those last two Halloween movies, sure, you can say that the box office was affected by COVID, and that's why there was such a step down from the first movie to the second movie to the third movie. But creatively, those movies were a disaster, and they were not well received by audiences or critics. So why in the world did Universal give the keys to another horror franchise to the same group of people. It's like a dad whose idiot kid runs his car into the side of a building, but he keeps giving him the keys because he's like, well, you know, maybe this time he'll learn his lesson about responsibility. No, he's just going to drive the car into a wall again. He's an idiot. Is there some executive at Universal who thinks that all of David Gordon Green's horror movies are misunderstood masterpieces and they're just like banking them for posterity in the future? Because you think at some point somebody would say to him, hey, you know, okay, you can keep Directing these, that's fine, but maybe write with somebody that you don't know from North Carolina? I mean, it's too late now because Universal reportedly paid $400 million for the rights to make these movies back in 2021. No, you did not hear that wrong. They paid $400 million for a franchise that in the 50 years since the first movie came out has produced four sequels. One of them is one of the all time worst part twos ever made. One of them was a box office disappointment that's now regarded as a cult horror classic. And then the other two sequels are so bad that they're both the same movie that they had to try two different ways, neither of which worked. Even when you throw in the TV show that was cancelled after 2 seasons and 20 episodes, 400 million dollars for this franchise is an insane stretch unless the Exorcist mazes at Halloween Horror Nights are really putting people through the turnstiles. I guess what I'm saying is that it doesn't really matter whether this movie's good or not, whether it's a hit or not, whether people like it or not, whether critics like it or not, because Universal essentially has to keep making them. It's insanity. And it's also too bad because putting aside Burston's glorified cameo, the cast here really is giving it their best shot. Leslie Odom Jr. plays the father of a young girl who goes missing in the woods with her friend. When they show up three days later, remembering nothing, the family slowly begin to realize that these girls might have brought something back with them from the forest. The body in the blood. The body in the blood. The body in the blood. The body in the blood? This is where Odom seeks out Burstyn's expertise as the mother of a possessed child, and surprise, the movie's legacy character is a lonely, washed up old drunk who's alienated everybody that she ever loved in the decades since we've last seen her on screen. There are many dark forces in this world, Mr. Fielding, not all of them are supernatural. I wake up every morning wondering where my daughter is, praying about see her sweet face again one of these days. That's right, The Exorcist Believer isn't just derivative of the Exorcist franchise, it's also derivative of the legacy sequel genre. The two possessed girls are played by Olivia Markham, who I think was cast because she looks a lot like 1970s Linda Blair, and Lydia Jewett, who plays Odom's daughter, and the girl in the possessed pair who has an actual backstory. The devil may not play favorites, but the screenplay sure does. These young actresses do the best they can do at replicating what Linda Blair did in the original Exorcist. It just would have been nice if they'd been asked to do something, anything different. It's not just that this is a copy of a copy of a copy, it's that the script itself is just really poorly written in a lot of places, and David Gordon Green has some sort of an obsession with a community-based approach to fighting monsters because some of the speechifying in this movie is so out of the blue and even so inconsistent with what we've seen in past exorcist films. This evil dies tonight mantra is something that David Gordon Green didn't just put into a Halloween movie. I think it's something that he actually believes. I think his only plan to fight anything would be, well, let's get the town people together. Honestly, some of the dialogue in this movie made me ache for the nuance of of Evil Dies Tonight from Halloween Kills, and I think it's because this is the sort of movie that seems to think that the people watching the movie are complete morons, and I'll give you an example. There's one scene in the movie where Anne Dowd, who really is a fantastic actress, and she's giving it her all in this movie, as is most of the rest of the other cast. Ann Dowd walks into a room, she immediately kind of recoils and like grimaces, then dry heaves and puts her hand over her nose, and you don't have to be a body language expert to know that these are three pretty universal symbols for, hey, something in here doesn't smell very good. This is followed by a very obviously 80-yard line, something that was put in in post-production, of a character saying, the smell got worse. And this is the sort of movie that we're dealing with here, folks. It's the kind of movie that thinks that you, the audience member, will not be able to pick up on the very unsubtle physical cues that something smells bad in this room, and that, indeed, a character must tell you that something smells bad in this room in order for you to understand what's going on. The dialogue is bad, the pace is never able to either build dread or deliver fear, characters wander in and out of this movie without any rhyme or reason. There were certain points where I just kind of couldn't fathom how this could happen again from the same people to another huge horror franchise. In every conceivable way, the exorcist believer falls short of the original exorcist and a fair amount of the exorcist knockoffs that have come out in the last 50 years. It neither evokes the horror of the original nor inspires any interest in further movies. And this could be a problem because Jason Blum, who produced this movie under the Blumhouse label, has said that The Exorcist Believer is one of the biggest, if not the biggest risks that the company's ever taken because of its size. Usually Blumhouse does very small movies. And this confuses me even more because Jason Blum is a pretty savvy producer. And if this truly is the biggest risk that Blumhouse has ever taken, why did he play it so safe? He's made the same mistake that every other producer has made with almost every other franchise in the last 10 to 15 years, which is to think that you can only recoup your original investment on one of these franchises if you try to water it down to the lowest common denominator. Time after time, if you actually look at the marketplace, it's very evident that people don't respond to this approach, and yet the Exorcist Believer exists. The only real risk or surprising element of the movie comes near the end, but honestly, I doubt that there are many in the audience that will still be on board enough to care. Obviously, this isn't a recommendation, and on my personal scale, I'm giving it the least enthusiastic not-a-fan rating possible, and really the only reason that I'm not rating this as a stay-away movie is that this isn't quite as bad as some of the utter garbage that I've seen, particularly in the horror franchise. So really me not putting this in the stay away category isn't a compliment to The Exorcist Believer, it's an insult to a lot of other movies. So those are my thoughts on The Exorcist Believer. What do you think? Are you gonna take a shot anyway? Let me know down in the comments below. And before we go, I wanna thank the sponsor for this review, Mint Mobile. From pumping gas to buying food to those endless increases in streaming service prices, inflation and price increases are everywhere. Not only will it drive you crazy, it'll also stretch your budget. Thankfully, there's one company out there that wants to give you a break instead of breaking the bank. Mint Mobile. As the first company to sell premium wireless service online only, Mint Mobile lets you order from home and save a ton with phone plans starting at just 15 bucks a month. Think about your mobile plan and then imagine how much you could save every month with Mint. Based on what my plan used to cost, the savings go up into the hundreds of dollars every year. All plans come with unlimited talk and text, plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. And you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Plus, not having to go into a retail store to sign up means no one's trying to upsell you on plans or devices that you don't want and setup is easy. Once you're done, there's no going back. Plus, Mint has great tech support if you need help getting started. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get it shipped right to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash Merle. That's mintmobile.com slash Merle. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com merl thanks so much to mint mobile for sponsoring this review and thank you for watching it i'll be back very soon with more movie news reviews box office and more until next time stay safe and i'll see you then bye